everyone, and welcome back to Sarah's Space. I've had a wee little hiatus of solo time, um, being that I've had the pleasure of being able to have some group podcasts and another wonderful collaboration with Alyssa. And now I am on the tail of my very first summer family vacation since my daughter has been born. And actually my very first summer vacation, I think in probably a couple years before that. So I'm feeling strangely relaxed and strangely inspired. And I wanted to share some of that with you. I feel as though uh, I have a lot to say towards recharging the batteries, a lot to say towards finding something that stimulates your inner self, your inner world, before being able to deal with the day-to-day vagaries of the outer world. So on that note, I'm just going to start right into, uh, I guess, a little tiny bit of an explanation as to why that vacation was so incredibly desired, needed, and appreciated. Not that one shouldn't appreciate every single vacation we have a chance to have. And I'm sure that each and every one of us has had times in our lives in which we open our arms to the sky and yell, why me? And it feels a little bit like a movie where the locusts descend. Um, Well, that was basically July, I think, for the Brewer-Klaus family, uh, starting with a wonderful entry into July with my birthday and, and the wonderful family weekend spent together, and then beginning the annual workshop that I conduct with a wonderful set of dancers with this wide age spread and these fantastic personalities. The collaboration that occurred in those seven days really, truly fed my soul and allowed me to be able to withstand all the stuff that seemed to be happening on the outside, of which included our beloved cat, one of two, becoming mortally ill and requiring immediate hospitalization in a vet emergency clinic. Uh, Not that I believe in maligning people in social media, but let's just say the first vet will be hearing from me personally because they were and you're more than welcome to ask. <laughs> Let's just say it's in Port Moody. And uh, anyways, they did not help our cat. And $2,100 later, both Michael and I walked out of there deeply stressed and uh, feeling as though we hadn't done what we set out to do, which was to cure him, make him better. And yet we were going into uh, debt over the situation. We ended up having to re-hospitalize him two days later uh, in an amazing hospital situation. This one I will talk about. This was the emergency um, veterinary clinic of the Fraser Valley in Langley. The vets there were truly amazing. Uh, the, The personal contact, the bedside manner as it were, went above and beyond my expectations and was so deeply needed under the circumstances. I was so appreciative of how they cared for us as well as our cat. And uh, yet another (laughs) almost $2,300 later, he is on the mend. So we make jokes now that we have a million dollar cat. Uh, Didn't quite get up to that in the vet bill since he's been born, but we are somewhere in the eight, nine thousand dollar mark. Shocking. I think that is more than I have ever spent in a vet on any animal in my esteemed long life. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. Anyways, enough of all that, because that really just is about money. And that's a subject I'll talk about later. It was very stressful. It was stressful to imagine, you know, losing an animal. It was uh, stressful to imagine spending so much money on an animal. It was stressful to put it into the context of, you know, the quote unquote disposable income words and what truly is disposable. Can you quantify affection? Can you quantify a life, whether it be of an animal or, an, you know, it's obviously human life is unquantifiable by those that ethically feel in that way. But uh, people do often say that, you know, pets and, and domestic friends as they are, that we need to put it into perspective so I guess that was my family's perspective, that we did not want to lose our cat. And uh, so there he is. On the second last day of my workshop, I guess with the lack of sleep and the lack of awareness that I usually operate with, I ended up kicking the end of a steel piece of tubing that was sticking out from the floor pedestal of one of the ballet bars. And I broke my toe, my fourth toe on my right foot, and I broke it in an interarticulation spot, which basically means right in the middle joint of the middle phalange bone. Uh, so it it was a spectacular break. <laughs> it was rather hard to do. I did it well. And I'm now entering, I guess it must be my third. I'm going to go into my fourth week of healing next week. It's a long, slow process, and it absolutely sucks to be injured. It absolutely sucks to be injured during the summer when there are so many opportunities to be out and about and hiking and exploring and swimming, etc. But I am also trying to maintain a positive perspective on that. And then to add to the locus, yes, there is one more thing. I uh, went into my computer to find a an old photo to post with the latest podcast that I was posting and discovered that eight years of my photos had gone missing. Those happened to be from 2007, I believe it was, to 2015, which would encompass the wedding, the honeymoon, every intervening year, the pregnancy, the birth of Kira, and the first five years of her life. So to say I was devastated was a gross understatement and I had to uh, deal with that. I ended up spending approximately six hours on the phone with uh, Apple experts. And I'm happy to say, just like with the toe being on the mend, with Keiko being on the mend, um, finally an Apple expert in the photo department from somewhere in the States, I think it may have been in California, I'm not sure, was able to resolve the problem. And I am now back a happy owner of my eight years of missing photos. So may I just caution all of you that do, like myself, grow accustomed to and reliant on technology, have external drives. I am only able to recover them because of that. And ironically, I had two, and one of them, for whatever reason, did not record them, and the other one did. So I, I encourage all of you, I, I don't, I don't want to be ever an uh, advertisement for anything computer related or anything for that matter, but I think external drives are a wonderful investment as far as our peace of mind goes. So yes, that was the beginning of July. Uh, we had scheduled two uh, weekend camping trips on either end of a work trip to the island. 
in which the family enjoys taking our tent trailer and experiencing camping uh, just for two, two, three days at a time, but nonetheless, it's lovely. We ended up canceling those because Keiko was too sick. That's the cat. My husband stayed home to look after him. I ended up going to the island to work with my daughter, who was an absolutely amazing companion. The children and young people I got a chance to teach uh, were wonderful. The owners of the school were deeply understanding and wonderful. The young woman that I'm going to put a shout out to uh, Justine Fraser that we shared a place with was a gift. So overall, it was an incredibly positive experience and um, healing in its own right about how when things seem like they can go so wrong, there's a lot of things that still go right. It also put things into perspective on a lot of fronts because there is always someone out there who is threatened with a loss that is greater than the one that you are experiencing or have experienced. Um, There's always someone out there who is in a position of less and that we can always appreciate the plenty that we actually have. So it did, again, um, precipitate a, a greater sense of gratitude to the universe and to all that I am blessed to have and be surrounded by which was, although exhausting, um, in its own right, wonderful to come home to. We then had a very, very busy three days to ready ourselves for the trip of a lifetime. And last, I guess a week, last Wednesday, we flew out to Haida Gwaii. And I was offered that opportunity by the friendship grown and, and so valued between myself and a friend of mine named Heidi Wood, who I have had as a guest, who's this amazing human being who happens to be the mother of another amazing two young human beings who I met through the dance world, who having done privates with her eldest for seven years, we just had a friendship blossom from that uh, shared trust and, and I guess educational process. She has been instrumental in me and facilitating me in the home education of Kira, my daughter. And she was the reason that we went to Haida Gwaii because it's her childhood birthplace and well, not really birthplace, but it's her childhood home. And I was so grateful for that opportunity as were my daughter and husband. And wonderfully, I can express that although we have had many quite splendid opportunities to travel as a family with Kira, due to my work and um, in some cases due to the people I've met through my work, many of them have been urban settings. Uh, many, many of them are on Vancouver Island, which of course is our sort of dream place to inhabit at some time in the future. Uh, and in all of them, my husband and my daughter find things to love, particularly Vancouver Island. And in the urban settings, such as going to big cities, uh, Kira has found something mostly to do with people or maybe in a, a select experience that we have within that setting. But she has never expressed such unmitigated, unreined joy as she did uh, at landing at Haida Gwaii, going across the narrows on our ferry boat to get from uh, Sandspit to Skidigat and she just she was 
pretty much beaming from ear to ear in most respects for the entire week. Uh, that's an experience, or a, shall we say, that's an opportunity that I think every parent can be grateful for because it's a time where you see your child flourish and you see what makes them tick on a deeper level, not just new experiences or or fun, as it were, with a capital F-U-N exclamation mark. So, yeah, we we spent our week in a tiny house, an Airbnb that uh, had been arranged through acquaintances of Heidi. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. I, I believe it was 175 square feet. Uh, to put that into perspective, I think that is the average size of most people's in the middle classes, smaller bedroom. It wasn't configured as such because there were two bedroom lofts that we were able to sleep in. But as far as the the ground floor goes, I would say it would be half the width of a regular bedroom. And uh, in mentioning that to my mom, I had a smile because, I, you know, I said it was quite interesting to be in that space with the three of our energies on good and bad days of energy because all three of us are, I would say, intense people in our own right. I would say my husband and my daughter tend to gravitate towards the more, um, I don't I don't like using hyper because it sounds like a negative connotation, but let's just say high energy, um, sort of vibrating with a lot of physical energy and desire to explore and get out and about. Uh, all of us have pretty hot tempers. All of us need sleep, <laughs> lots of it. So I would say that, you know, 175 square feet is is a small space to have three energetic, very active people. Although my activity was curtailed somewhat by the toe situation, which also did not help me as far as navigating around small areas and people's feet and up and down ladders. I must admit I was uh, probably more tetchy than I normally would have been just because of that. Full disclosure. Uh, but anyways, back to me mentioning it to my mom. Uh, we had a, a funny email interchange in which I had quite a smile as she recalled that from my birth, uh, we not only spent time living in one bedroom at my Nana's house for a short time, we then traveled around Ontario for, I believe it was three weeks in a camper. And then from there moved to Spain and lived in a very, very small hacienda for the first year of my life. Then we're sort of in various places in and out. Oftentimes I'm staying with people until we settled into a situation where we uh, lived in a tent for six months in Ontario. We also lived in a house in the woods or a house in the swamp in the woods that was a, a one-room house, again, with a bedroom loft. I'm not sure of the square footage of all of these things, but I'm just sort of trying to put it into perspective. <laughs> uh, this little tiny house had all the mod cons, as it were, you know, heating and um, electricity and hot water and a tiny fridge, things like that. And the house in the woods had none of the above. Uh, we, I believe my dad brought in a wood stove to heat it. Uh, we didn't have electricity uh, hot water was created by heating it on the wood stove. And uh, what else did I mention? Mm. Oh, fridge. Yeah, no fridge. No coolers. <laughs> oh, maybe that's why I dislike camping coolers so much. Uh, <laughs> childhood trauma. It's all coming out to me now. Uh, and then the childhood home that I spent most of my life in from, I guess, 5 to 16 was 800 square feet. And that was with my brother, myself and my parents. 
and whatever cats at the time and whatever dog at the time. So I, I think that maybe my experience of tiny house living is uh, less idealistic and romantic than many's would be, not many's, but many would be experiencing just simply because novelty carries a great deal of romance and idealism. And um, past experiences also shape, I guess, our desire of what we want in our future. And I think I really do enjoy a little bit more space. And I have to say that I have grown very accustomed to and quite in love with hot water on demand, as well as a shower, as well as electricity, I guess. (laughs) I'm so... I'm so boring. I've come, <laughs> I came from such rustic and organic and resourceful roots and I have become well, I guess the the typical love the conven- modern conveniences of the middle class variety. But I will I will live with that. I will also say that um coolers, can I just express my personal effrontery with them and that is that you have to fill them with ice and bags of ice are basically solid water that you have to pay for, which always rubs me the wrong way. And it's encased in plastic. Furthermore, it melts. And as it melts, it leaves your food swimming, or at least the bottom layers of whatever food you have tried to lift up out of there swimming in about two inches of water that you may or may not have a below, uh, not a below valve, but a valve at the bottom of the cooler in which you can exit the water. Uh, release it as it were or else you just have you know things like cheese and bread swimming in water and forever ruined into soggy dumb yes I complain I, I just needed that little vent I'm over and done with it now uh, so I think I have uh, waxed rather realistic about our tiny house living um, but let me also say that it was truly amazing on the Uh, cleanliness side on the cedar ceiling side on the structure of it and the location which was right across the road from one of the many many beach areas we experienced because Ida is an island and most of the living is done right along the coastline as it was in the ancient times or not so ancient times but in the original village times of the indigenous people because that makes the most sense. So yeah, we just had to cross the one main road that leads itself up and down the entire island. And we were in this incredible beach area, which we found, I believe, in the span of those seven days, and not every single day was spent searching on the beach, but I think we brought home five fossils. So we're talking a place that just... uh, It held forth so much ancient uh, depth and wisdom and spirituality and uh, experience. I can't say that it was all warm experience because my heart was very heavy and I truly was moved to tears on several occasions in experiencing the Heritage Cultural Centre and realizing what my ancestors, my European ancestors, thought with their superiority complex was right to do to another set of people, the indigenous people who had inhabited the land for tens of thousands of years, and had a very sophisticated culture of their own, and how in so many instances, you know, us settlers 
have come in and decided that we know best because we are comfortable with what we know and familiar with what we know. Therefore, we impose it upon people that know what they know. And there is no superiority of what we know over theirs. And in many cases, to be honest, the lack of uh, embracing where you come from, the lack of, of recognition of nature, the lack of love of nature, the lack of uh, honoring and, and giving back to nature, which I don't want to sound like I'm getting on a political podium right now, but I think it's pretty clear for all of us to look around what's happening to our world, our planet, Earth. We only have one and we seem to be doing an awfully good job at using it up. And if we all just took one step back and perhaps studied the indigenous cultures in our various places of living and studied from an open-hearted place how they lived and sustainably gave back to the world that they were living in. We may not approve, shall I say, of every single method. Perhaps there are some, I guess, social norms in in various cultures that rub us the wrong way and I am using the royal us or the royal we just simply because right now I'm just referring to myself as someone who is a non-indigenous person and I feel as though we allow our our senses of social norms our senses of comfort our senses of familiarity to override our intelligence in a lot of times and to override our ability to actually see with clarity and recognize that although we may not feel entirely comfortable with the methods that people of indigenous backgrounds in various all parts of the world have used, utilized, lived by for, again, thousands of years, we would recognize in them a commonality. And that commonality is, is that nature was honored, is honored, And that with everything taken, there's something given back. And with everything taken, there's something appreciated. And there is an aspect of uh, such awareness that there aren't the same issues apparent. They never would have been apparent in the way we are using up and in our throwaway culture and in our things like the, the phrase disposable income. I find that phrase oh my goodness, it grips my heart. It makes me feel so uncomfortable because I I work very hard at what I do and I love what I do and it feels incredibly uh, ripe with reciprocity. And I do feel as though I am giving back to the universe in the teaching that I am doing with young people and older people alike. I feel that my husband, although his job is of a more... I guess, constructing new and renovating new. He's so aware of his his role in trying to reuse and recycle and and being original with that so that things, and he's, he is, does conduct himself in an environmentally very aware way on his job site. And in the, in the sense of educating our daughter, because I having with the homeschool situation, I have an ability to constantly remind her and point out situations in which I feel that there is a a disrespect towards nature and a disrespect towards the environment that, that we are living in. I feel like she is more aware than many young people would be. And I'm proud of that. 
I don't feel that we are creating a disposable income. I feel like we are earning an income and we are paying our bills and we are paying off our house and we are trying to put aside a future uh, nest egg for our daughter to be able to utilize for an education or perhaps even a home of her own. I don't feel that going on a trip as a family and experiencing time together, I don't think of that as disposable income. Although, again, I must express gratitude that I, uh, well, that we do both have that opportunity to earn enough money to be able to do such a thing, because I am well aware that many don't. So perhaps I take um, an overly sensitive umbrage at the word, dis- the words disposable income, but I think it is based on the fact that I don't try to think of disposing of much in life. I feel like we, we all three of us try to think of, of using, uh, utilizing, making uh, very good use of it to the best of our abilities, whether it be a time or an opportunity or a wrapper of some sort of food stuff. So, yeah, that's my, my view on that situation. Going back to Haida Gwaii, um, our education was made even more full by being provided the opportunity to uh, uh, partake in a pole tour and learn of the nations and the clans and the symbols of the clans and what, to some degree, um, each of them represented and meant and how important it was for each clan, each family to honor that and how tied in they were to nature. It also was beautiful to see the artwork and the care, uh, the, the actual loving artisanship that goes into the creation of that, that finally is starting to receive, a, a, I think, quite a considerable recognition amongst the settlers and the, the white European people of, well, I would say North America. I can't speak to other nations, but I can say that North America seems to now finally start to honor the artwork in a degree that I find comforting. I have to say that uh, being with Heidi in so many of those places and having her perspective and her seemingly endless fount of knowledge to express what each place meant for the indigenous peoples and uh, the name uh, of each place and what had gone on there or why it was named in such a fashion was just, it was incredible. I, I, I would suggest that if anyone has the opportunity to travel to Haida Gwaii, that you take full advantage of having an indigenous tour guide, having indigenous perspective, because it really is that's where the the experience comes from. Just going to a remote island in which, uh, you know, it's it's just awash with beauty and um, natural, spectacular, shall I say, influence, because it's also far enough off the coast and uh, an island in the middle of, well, not the middle, uh, in, in a northern part of the Pacific Ocean that you have such an influx and changing weather pattern. So you do actually feel to some respect as though you're in the middle of a ship experiencing and, and discovering for the first time, which I'm not sure if everyone else experiences that, but I know that 
we three did. And waking up with the windows open and hearing the cry of the eagles, which, by the way, were in such high population, it was kind of like being in the West End of Vancouver and seeing all the seagulls. They are that prevalent in Haida Gwaii along the coast, and I'm sure further inland as well. There were so many moments in which I just felt my breath taken away by the freshness of the air, the expanse of the ocean horizon, the the beauty of the rocks and the fossils and the shells and and the variety as well. We went to, I believe, if I'm quantifying exactly, five different beaches. And in those five different beaches, I have to say, I collected quite enough of a supply <laughs> that we had to check another piece of luggage because it was overweight. And my already highly eccentric home filled with many rocks from and sand from all over the world and fossils and uh, craggy bits of this and that and driftwood has now burgeoned forth even more. We're pretty soon going to have to have a separate little home that will just be almost like our own, I don't know, display gallery. I'd like to think of it like that. The nature gallery. There, there's a thought for the future when I have some retirement time or some such thing. But um yeah, I, I can't say enough about how beautiful the experience was. And on a humanistic level, I also just wanted to share with you, be, well, I do a lot of guest teaching in the summers. Uh, I do guest teaching throughout the years as well, um, the regular season. I adjudicate throughout the regular season. I love guest teaching and adjudicating for two primary reasons. And one of them is, is the experiencing different human beings and being in a different setting, being outside my familiarity and comfort zone. I am pushed to uh, find different ways of stimulating different minds that I'm less familiar with. I am uh, pushed to find different founts of knowledge within myself. I am also reminded that what sometimes feels like a, a familiar refrain isn't familiar to people that don't know you. And I feel as though that also puts me in a position of being able to exercise my joy of anatomy and physicality and working with different bodies and, and helping them attain the physical prowess and knowledge that they want with their different bodies, as well as psychology and working with the way everyone is so different. And when I'm traveling, it's the same for me. I find myself inadvertently studying body language and figuring out what uh, comfort zone certain people that are greeting us or that we are bumping into are in, um, trying to be sensitive and aware of, of every setting that we are in, you know, such as traveling in a small plane or being in a small airport or interacting with local people, uh, interacting with indigenous peoples, uh, trying to feel as though I'm open and less um, armed with knowledge and more open to knowledge. So I feel as though I just went away on sort of a, a learning experience, really. I, I feel very filled with more knowledge of, of well, of the indigenous peoples of Haida Gwaii um, or Guayanas. Um, I feel more filled with the experience of traveling with another family, which I've actually never been in the opportunity uh, before to do. 
Uh, as a young child, I did have a couple of um, short traveling experiences with a family, but just by myself, not as an adult with my own family. And that was a wonderful experience. And it's also a wonderful teaching opportunity to share with your child how to interact with people in a manner that is sensitive to their needs and not just um, oppressively filled with your own. And I think that's something that I can share with with all of you as we travel throughout our summers and, and experience, you know, shared cabin dwellings or, or, well, I, I mean, in the social media world, I get a chance to see that a lot of people are traveling with friends, uh, either as a solo single woman or man, um, or traveling with the same gender or mixed gender, or you're traveling as a couple with other couples, or you're traveling as a family with other families, or sometimes all of that is intermingled and mixed, or you're traveling with an extended family. And I feel like it's wonderful uh, work for us to remember that uh, honoring that space means that while we are traveling in someone else's land, wherever that might be, even if it's in our same province or our same city, we're maybe in somebody else's place. Um, even if they're Airbnbs, they're somebody else's place. And to remember to be grateful for that opportunity and to remember to treat it with respect and to treat it with the awareness that you would want your things treated the same way. And when interacting with people to remember that not everybody operates at the same level. And I think being a very intense person myself, I'm hyper aware of that and always trying to make sure that I don't overwhelm people with my energy or my passions about various topics and such. And I think sometimes, uh, People that are naturally fun-loving and enthusiastic can also be overwhelming for those of us that are more introverted and quiet. And I feel like it's always just, I think it's a lovely state of mind to just maintain awareness. And I think that kindness and that consideration is part of giving back to nature because then we can experience these moments and share these moments without ever leaving someone feeling um, overdone or OD'd or wanting of a more peaceful or better experience. So yeah, that, that was something that, that definitely came out of it. And I guess also something that I am, I'll actually use the word suffering, although it's very dramatic, through right now is what I've discussed in earlier podcasts, which is being injured and kind of sitting on the sidelines of my regular activity level and during the summer when it's, you know, it's hot and it's beautiful, I had to forego so many hiking opportunities in Haida Gwaii, which was unbelievably hard to do because that is an amazing way to explore a different land, which is on foot. And that's usually how my husband and I have explored the places that we have traveled. And I was really limited. I, I did do slow meandering walks on beaches, but had to stick to as level ground with this little sand, soft surface, unstable surfaces as I could, which was frankly annoying, uh, pushing my patience there. I had to let go of the hiking opportunities that were provided to me. And I also had to let go of a lot of ego. And I'm still letting go of ego because through um, some wonderful guest teaching opportunities that I've just recently had, I'm teaching in runners and, you know, that limits my amount of freedom of movement and my catharsis of the movement. And it actually pushes me to explain things in a way that 
I don't always have to, because oftentimes one can speak with, uh, with, with movement so that dancers can learn with osmosis, which I have to be grateful for because I think it's important for teachers to always maintain their student uh, position as well, meaning that we're always learning. Because as human beings, when we stop learning, we become uh, static, stagnant, ignorant, and usually superior. And those are things I never want to wish upon anyone, and certainly not myself. So that is something that I have been going through. Plus, you know, the ego of a body that has to maintain a fitness level for health, for the ability to do my job, and also just for my sense of well-being. So I've gotten creative. <laughs> there's there's a lot of little exercises I'm doing prone, laying on the floor. Um, a lot of simple weight bearing that doesn't put tons of pressure on the toe as the bone is healing. And also just learning how to let go simply of what we're used to, which I guess is what this theme of this podcast is mostly about, is just the letting go of the familiar and embracing the new and embracing the unfamiliar and embracing all that that comes with that. And I have to say that I am so aware and grateful and thankful to the experiences that July has offered forth, even though, you know, a great deal of them were very unpleasant and pushed the three of us to find ways of working through them as a unit and and sallying forth into the opportunities that we had and finding the beauty and the joy in them and appreciate the moment as opposed to, you know, worry about what may or may not transpire in the future and as opposed to worrying about the what ifs because essentially we can't do anything about that. And I feel like times in which we have a change in schedule, a change in our settings, a change in our environment, they are valuable times in which we can reset our own inner clock. And I don't mean about time necessarily, and I don't mean about circadian rhythms. I mean our clock of expectations, our clock of, of needs. We can realize that, you know what? Sometimes sleeping for 12 hours is everything that you ever needed. Sometimes getting three hours sleep was just what happened. Sometimes waking up cranky and learning how to move past that and, and recognize that no one else deserves that put upon them is something that we need to do. Sometimes understanding that taking a deep breath in and, and experiencing fresh air in such um, open and beautifully wild and unfettered nature's circumstances is really what we need. And closing our eyes and letting the wind wash over us and feeling essentially cleansed on the outside in, I think, I think just maintaining the beauty in simplicity, the beauty in the moment, and the beauty, and I can't believe I'm saying this because anyone that knows me well is well aware that I have always had troubles with change. I have always been one of those people that uh, embraces consistency to an alarming degree <laughs> um, from the petty, like the same breakfast uh, requirements, bagel and coffee for over 20 years, which has changed, I like to point that out, to the more extreme in which, you know, I've, I've never really enjoyed uh, 
flying by the seat of the pants expression, you know, just going someplace and winging it. And in, I would say, the last 20 years, and probably greatly with the onset of meeting my husband and perhaps the preceding few years in which I was just ready for a change, I really have to say it's a rewarding way to live. It's a rewarding way to embrace life. And it's a rewarding way to embrace all that we have within us, the capacity to evolve, the capacity to change, the capacity to uh, better things that we feel are lacking or perhaps uh, less open. And it's also on a greater global scale. It's a place that we can embrace the hope that we will no longer ruin, um, use up, uh, take advantage of, and hurt the earth and the people around us and the people who have always honored the earth. And with that, I would love to say to all of you, I hope you are having an amazing summer experience and are getting a chance to do the unfamiliar and experience the unfamiliar with loved ones, by yourself, um, in groups, with strangers, and that it is opening your eyes to a lot more that exists within you. And I wish you more happy journeys and adventures and travels. And this is also going to be my last weekly podcast. I'm now going to switch to the paradigm of bi-weekly. So every two weeks, keep your eyes on Sarah's space because I will either be speaking to you on my own or in the company of some wonderful human beings that I would love to share their perspectives, thoughts, knowledge, and experiences with you all. So thank you again for joining me in Sarah's space and have a wonderful summer.